How is everybody doing? And welcome back for another Strength Chat episode. Today, I am joined by a competitive powerlifter, a martial artist, and the assistant head coach at Kabuki Strength. Today, I am joined by the one and only Kyle Young. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate it. No worries at all. Thanks a lot for taking the time to jump on. Um, how are you? What have you been up to? What's been happening in your world? Well, um, we're always busy here at Kabuki doing something else from um, product shoots to uh, elevating our coaching and our education. Um, we are preparing to launch a new product. So by the time this is live, it'll be out. It's the first time we've ever had a low barrier to entry coaching program. So all of our coaching, we're so well known for right the, the creme de la creme barbells um, and, and coaching as well. So everything we do, we want to be to the highest end. So many people have asked for, you know, Duffin's deadlift template or, you know, a, a template on how to make my bench press bigger. And we've avoided it because that's just not how we coach because you can't give people a general program that's going to be the best for everybody. It's just not possible. But um, with overwhelming demand, we, we finally caved a little bit and decided that we need to get some kind of team program going because there's so many people that want help from us as coaches at Kabuki. But, you know, whether they're a youth athlete or, you know, saving to get married or whatever they can't quite afford the uh, the top-notch program so it's a great entry level to start so our team's coaching um will be our our newest launch and that's going out monday there's a bunch of stuff out on social media now so we've been busy preparing for that and on top of that um this weekend i'm actually getting ready to jump on a flight and head to california um this week we have the uspa nationals coming up so our team of about eight competitors this year. Prior to COVID, that was going to be about twice as many, but still about eight that made it through uh, getting qualified and all that. So off to California to uh, coach our team at the, at Nationals. Oh, cool. So quite a lot of things to, to keep you busy with then. I know obviously yeah. with, um, you know, the uh, the coaching and the, and the courses they put out, I know a couple of, um, it must have been a couple of months ago now, uh, was the Kabuki Education Week. And I know yeah, for, yeah. Um, you know, being involved in that, I was kind of living on, um, yeah, US time uh, for, for a little right. bit of that being over in the uh, being over in the UK. But I know obviously quite a lot, you, you've started to put some of the courses on there because I know you, you know, uh, Kabuki as a, you know, as a company, you know, prides itself on the, on the in-person, you know, coaching that it does as well. Has that been a little bit of a change, you know, being involved in sort of the online side of things and, um, you know, adapting to that a little bit? Well, we were always um, more online or at least definitely heavier than 50-50. Our virtual coaching presence has always been big. Um, Even though we have a gym here in Portland, Oregon, um, there for a while, I think we were just an invite only, a private gym. Um, but it wasn't really getting what we wanted and we wanted to reach out to the community more here locally and help. So um, for us, you know, um, opening the doors back up, but it's still, it's, it's such a small percentage of what we do. We don't have a huge personal presence here. We do have a lot of athletes in Oregon. We have athletes fly from all over the world to do some tune-ups with us and some fine tuning. But since day one, we've had more virtual athletes than we do, we do local. So um the big thing that it hurt us uh, with COVID and everything was our seminar schedule. We couldn't really get in-person uh, stuff there. So trying to get, you know, with the Kabuki Education Week was a great example, trying to get some digital education off to the world when everybody was stuck at home. So not really a learning curve. It was somewhere we wanted to go anyways, but uh, yeah, just uh, shifting gears and, and making it happen. But the hard part is that some people really like that, that, uh, that coaching in person, right? 
they really want to sit at a seminar and listen to the personal lecture. So I think moving forward, as a lot of companies probably will be a, a hybrid model of both of those. Yeah, I know. I know. For me, obviously, you know the this, the seminars that you that you do over in the in the US, it was quite helpful. You know, having that Kabuki Education Week. I know some of the you know education courses that are now online. You know, to to reach a, a wider audience. I know that was you know really helpful for me because especially the content that you put out there. You know, sometimes it's quite hard to you know get get involved in those things. So to have it have it online was you know was, was beneficial. And the the Kabuki Education Week was was awesome. You know, the the lineup that you had and the speakers that you had was was great yeah my sleep suffered a little bit that week but um yeah i think the the notes that i got from it was uh, was good um so for everyone listening you know obviously i did a little bit of an introduction there but for everyone listening who might not know your background you know in uh, in training in competing as well as getting involved with kabuki strength just want to give a little bit of a background to yourself yeah for sure so um you know, moving all the way back, I uh, used to be a pretty little guy. I was just a skinny guy growing up. So first picked up a barbell just because I was tired of being little and I wanted to, um, you know, put some size on. So uh, short stint in bodybuilding type training, never competed, never stepped on stage or anything like that. But um, just started lifting to get big and strength just really interested me. So always getting stronger. Started getting involved in martial arts and um, primarily back then before CrossFit was popular. So quite some time ago. Um, CrossFit was the main conditioning source we used. So opened up a CrossFit gym. I can't say I fell in love with it because <laughs> I don't like cardio very much unless it's um, sparring or, or, or wrestling. That's my preferred uh, format. But um, it allowed me to have a lot of other training stimulus, uh, Olympic lifting, more into powerlifting. I really fell in love with powerlifting even deeper, competed for the first time, started running a powerlifting team. Um, went to the dark side and went from uh, a raw lifter coaching a, a team on his own to try to figure out how to do multi-ply by myself. So I've done multi-ply, single-ply raw, competed everywhere from 165. I used to make big weight cuts to 165 when I was pretty competitive, um, all the way now to I'm a, a light 220, so whatever that is in kilos. But, uh, you know, I walk at like 210, so lately there's been no cuts to 198 or anything, just walk right in at 220. Um, the other side of my training background used to run commercial gyms and commercial fitness. So a lot of experience working with the, the personal training group and, and general pop, even though I always specialized, I was a licensed massage therapist here in Oregon. So, um, always kind of looked at injury rehab and or prevention was kind of the way I used to talk about it. So when Kabuki opened up, um, on the other side of town, I needed to elevate my training game, um, and my coaching because I was one of the best athletes at my gym and I wasn't getting any help. So came over here, started cross training, went through one of the first uh, seminars um, that Kabuki ever put on, became a registered coach with Kabuki um, and then started getting my training from our head coach, now our VP of athlete experience, Mr. Brandon Sin, trained with him for years and years and years. Um, again, multi-ply raw, uh, single ply, done a little bit of everything with him as well. But it was such a great fit from my mindset. So when commercial gyms, um, when I got out of the commercial gym industry, it was a great transfer over here to start as a coach because it's a deeper understanding um, the, of what I was doing. Was fortunate enough to do a lot of the hands-on soft tissue work, uh, prehab, rehab kind of work for, for Chris Duffin through his last big strength feats. So that was always an honor. And then coming on to Kabuki, um, with my previous experience, 
uh, helped me kind of fast track my role into where I'm at now as the assistant head coach, helping the rest of our coaching staff succeed between their athletes and our coaching and education. Oh, cool. Quite a, quite a broad, you know, spectrum of, uh, you know, training and, and experiences uh, there, especially with the, you know, the the uh, the coaches, you know, at Kabuki, you know, how has that sort of influenced your uh, your coaching progression and how you've sort of developed as, as a coach? And if, you know, what, what other influence have you had on your sort of coaching career? Yeah, I think the biggest thing um, was even our coaching staff now, Gosh, you're just so smart. You know, when uh, when I was a, a fitness manager and a little bit of a, of a cocky trainer, if you will, you know, there was a point in time when I thought I knew it all. And that was when I was an early trainer. And then things um, progressed pretty quickly when I started talking to more knowledgeable people in the industry. And we're talking like, you know, year one or year two of being a personal trainer and realized I really didn't know that much. Like as much as I thought I knew, I didn't know that much. So I really dove in and educated myself uh, as much as I could and truly became, in my opinion, less cocky, but, you know, one of the more knowledgeable people around in, in training and, and the human body and had so much experience five years later, 10 years later. But coming over to Kabuki, it was intimidating, even though I knew the crew personally because I lived in town and I trained with them, you know, and I was, you know, top of the, of the world in my little pond, as I used to call it, as an athlete, but also as a coach. So coming over here, I'm like, man, I know Duffin, but like, I have to talk to talk in front of Duffin and Brandon. Like, I have to know what I'm doing. Coach Cassie is very smart. Like the way I articulate myself about the human body has to be elevated because everyone around me is also the top of the top. So I think that was the biggest thing for me. It's not that I necessarily learned a, a bunch of new stuff. Um, I actually would say that I didn't. I refined what I knew and refined skills. And that's one of the things I loved about the first Kabuki seminar. The biggest eye opener was how quickly and easily uh, Chris and Brandon and Rudy were able to simplify but clarify like the squat setup, for example. I would walk people through it and give them everything they needed to know about the squat. And it was just mind blowing. It was all great info, but they couldn't they couldn't hang along. And I was telling them the same stuff and then some. So I was giving them more. But like our five-step squat setup is super simple. We're not using magic terms. Brace, stand tall, right? Root your feet. Use your core better. Use your feet better. Stand tall. Like some of the most basic things that we can carry over to everybody. So I don't think it was learning a bunch of new stuff. I think it was really refinement of skills um, and making sure that, that that can be carried over to athletes across multiple continents. Uh, maybe some that English isn't their first language even. So you know, when we go from working in a, a large facility or multiple facilities in, in one of the states, you have an influence on a lot of people. But when you go internationally, you have a lot more influence and it has to be clearer information if you're working with, you know, different demographics, different age groups, different genders, uh, different ethnicities, all that good stuff. Yeah. On a, on a little bit of a tangent from, from what you mentioned there, it's interesting that you say, you know, not learning new things, but refining, you know, how, how are you saying things? I know for me, you know, as I've developed as a coach, you know, you, you go and uh, see more experienced coaches and see what they're doing and, you know, refine your skill set a little bit. Do you think that's something that sometimes, you know, uh, personal trainers and coaches sometimes, you know, uh, undervalue a little bit and, you know, are a little bit intimidated to go and, you know, learn from more experienced coaches to develop their, you know, skill set and refine themselves a little bit more yeah i think that's a you know it's a in, in my experience it's kind of a 
um, a double-edged sword. And, and some of this kind of, I'll, I'll go back to martial arts. Like um, I love the jiu-jitsu community, so I won't try to knock them too much, but um, at least old school jiu-jitsu, like I didn't learn in a, in a, in a nice school. Uh, I transferred to a nice school, but learned just like MMA jiu-jitsu. And it's, it was like, and somebody told me this, I'm taking that out of their, their words, not mine, but I agree with it. It was like the, the head coach or the, the main jiu-jitsu guy was always leaving some tricks up his sleeve so he could always be better. Like they would give you like 10%, 20%, but they wouldn't show you everything. Yeah. Or they would show you pieces of it, but not how to tie it together. And you had to earn your stripes and grind and work through to get that opportunity to put it together. And I don't know why, because it was like they were intimidated to share everything because they didn't want you to be better than them. Right. And I see some of that in, in the fitness world. And now it's gotten a little bit better with social media and how much content people put out. But I still feel like as a young trainer, if you went to uh, intern under a handful of people, you know, it could be mixed results. Some of them could give you everything you need to know. Some of them might be pretty reluctant to show you why they're so good at pulling top-notch clients and, you know, making a very profitable business. I get it. They feel threatened that you're going to open up next door and take something. That's one of the things I loved about Kabuki, right? We, we give so much free education. Yeah, I can't give it all for free. You need to give us some money and, and pay for everything. But if, you, if people just watch our Instagram, our YouTube, and something else, they can get so much better. There's so much free content. We're not afraid of, of telling people what we do and, and showing our products and showing the way that we coach. In our um, advanced athlete prep seminar, we actually talk quite a bit about the way we do programming. It's not anything special proprietary. Our coaches coach the same way. We follow the same principles, but we're not hiding it. So I think that's some of the problem is, you know, younger coaches and personal trainers need to find somewhere that A is correct or good information, but somebody that's going to be willing to give it out there so you can uh, further your career versus being held back by by somebody feeling like you're going to threaten them because you're pretty good at what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but I do find it, you know, as well as, you know, uh, lifters and, and clients that are listening, you know, I know there's, uh, you know, some coaches and personal trainers out there. So I always like to touch on that, especially with, you know, myself wanting to develop as a, as, as a coach, but also, you know, for, for others listening. Um, obviously, your background in uh, uh, powerlifting and uh, martial arts side of, side of things, two very um, different um, sort, of, sort of sports in, in, in some ways. And kind of the first question that I want to ask is, you know, um, in terms of the training side of things, are there any clashes, you know, one that, you know, training that you would do for one and not for the other? And then actually, you know, does, does training for one and the other actually co- complement one another? Because I know, you know, in the in the combat side of the world, people look at powerlifters, oh, the movement's not very good, they're dead stiff, you know, they, they need, you know, belts and all those sort of things. And, you know, might be looking at the combat sides and there's loads of movement and, you know, the need to get stronger and all those sort of things. What have, what have you found and what have your experiences having a foot in both camps? Yeah. Um, so my martial arts background goes, uh, I didn't, I didn't highlight on that. I, I went off on tangent about Kabuki, no. <laughs> but um, pretty deep as well. So um, I have a, a black belt in a, a system, I guess we'll say it was a, an offshoot of, of Kaja Kempo. Um, very, very challenging place to receive a black belt from. So the reason I highlight that, it was years and years and years of grinding away. Um, very long path to get that. Um, have done a fair amount of MMA, used to coach strength and conditioning for an MMA team, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, um, quite a bit. The only thing I didn't have is is the, the high school or collegiate wrestling background that, that Brandon Morgan had, but a lot of combat, or combat um, sambo, 
uh, things like that, sport, jujitsu, um, the, the kind of the other side of, of wrestling. So um, with all those years of experience, helping corner fighters, um, you know, working with pro and amateur fighters and um, pro and amateur powerlifters, the, I, I think there's just a big misconception, like, and I'm part of that camp right now. I don't do cardio because I'm like, well, what if, you know, that takes five pounds off my bench press? I don't want that. And it's that big what if. But we look at some of the best athletes out there, and they are in pretty good shape, some of them, and they're freakily strong. So there's a, on a quick note, there's a guy I know, just got to deadlift with him. My buddy opened a gym in San Diego, and the guy is just freakishly strong, um, military guy, but also runs a ton at the same time. Like the day before we did a deadlift party opening the gym, that morning he ran a marathon. And then he's about my size and, you know, he's not a pro power lifter. Um, he's in our own forces and he comes over and pulls like a 740 pound deadlift, right? Oh. He, he hangs with me all the way to the top. I ended up pulling like an, an 805 pound deadlift, but I didn't run a marathon that morning. If I ran a marathon, I don't even know if I would have made it to the gym. I don't know if I can run a marathon right now. So, and then on the flip side, you'd have these martial artists who are stuck in, in their old school ways or their coaches and the fight coaches saying, you know, your strength and conditioning, I joke about this sometimes, but people still do it. You need the one pound dumbbells and you're punching in the air and then you're going to do push-ups, squats, burpees, and like medicine ball twisty work and medicine ball throwing work. And they think that if we get uh, strong, we're going to get slow. That's not true. If you look at Olympic sprinters, they have very strong legs, very strong, and they move very fast, right? There's those problems on both sides. And from, from my experience, all of the fighters that uh, I trained when I was doing their strength and conditioning, uh, my main thing was to get them as strong as possible. And it was not always for strength. A lot of it, in, in my humble opinion, was getting them to a point where they're more resilient now, in Kabuki's words, I would say getting them anti-fragile. So if they can only, you know, do a body weight deadlift for five, that's that's a load on their body. It's cool. It's their body weight. The other opponents, probably their body weight too. But if they're doing a, you know, two-time body weight for for uh, for reps for on a deadlift, when they get pinned up against the wall or slammed or move around, their bone density is going to be up. Like they're just used to moving heavier loads. They're going to be more resilient. So I look at it from an injury um, prevention standpoint to get them as strong as possible. When that happens, we notice some injuries go down. And I say some because you're getting punched in the face and things break. So <laughs> we get that, right? But like overuse injuries, rotator cuff issues from hitting too hard and not having a strong back to balance that out. So the byproduct of that was all of our athletes never lost because they were out-muscled or because they had bad conditioning. They were way stronger. Um, I mean, when I was wrestling at, um, I was walking at probably 181 pounds, 180 pounds, because I used to cut to 165 for powerlifting meets. Um, I would wrestle with guys on the mat that were 220, so they were quite a bit bigger than me, and I was just as strong as them all day long. So guys, even strong guys in, in my size, there was no match. I always out-muscled them. And then you get on the endurance side of that. Well, if I'm expending less energy because I'm stronger and I have to make you grind harder, you're going to gas sooner than me, even if you have a little bit better conditioning. Now, if my conditioning is through the roof too, it's just going to be a bad day. I can actually be a little bit less skilled athlete 
and I can outmuscle you and I can outgrind you and I'll probably win unless I get knocked out or, you know, slipped in a choke or a submission or something like that. So flipping back to the powerlifting side, too many people, uh, again, I'm guilty of this right now, of not putting in the time to do the cardio to get heart health, you know, general conditioning capacity. And, and lastly, on that note, I have to say, uh, you know, a long time ago, I was a, a conjugate athlete. I swear I started with powerlifting, fell in love with conjugate training, um, have since walked away from it for a handful of reasons that are irrelevant for this argument. However, the thing that I did note about it, I was fighting at the time, I was doing conjugate style powerlifting, and I was doing CrossFit. And yes, it was too much. I was doing jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, um, you know, working full job. Like my training volume was over 35 hours a week lifting or on the mat. So a ton. There was no way I could recover. But about that of a pro fighter. So when guys say you're going to get big and bulky, I couldn't go over 178 pounds if I, like, if I had to. Eating McDonald's twice a day, I'm taking in 7,000 calories and couldn't get up to 185. Like if you're training hard enough, you're not going to get giant and bulky. And at that time, my point to all this was at that time, I was probably in the best, uh, we'll call CrossFit terms because I like them for this. I was the fittest of my life. I was kind of in the best shape of my life. Now, am I stronger now? Yes, I am. Um, is my cardio down? Yes, for sure. But it was one of those times where I could run, I could fight, I could lift heavier than most people. Like I could do most everything pretty well. And I think power lifters and even some strongmen miss a little bit of that. They're missing that conjugate style general strength. Now, if you get close to a competition and fighting as well, right? So any kind of competition on either side of the spectrum, some of that has to drop off and we have to focus on specificity so we can get to the top of the peak. But off season and other things, there's definitely a time Newer athletes, there's definitely time to build a giant base on that uh, that pyramid to build them up for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, you know, that what you finished on mentioning there about you know you know the difference between when you're going into a competition, you are going to have to be you know pretty specific in what you're focusing on 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 either sides uh, on on either camp in terms of powerlifting and in terms of you know the uh, the, the combat sport side of things. Do you think in terms of the training side of things because you know, I thought that was quite helpful, you know, arguing on, you know, what side, you know, why both sides think that, that one side's better, better than the other. That in terms of the training side of things, okay, so we're going to do some uh, training for um, the uh, the combat side of things. So I know powerlifters are strong, so let's get them strong like a, like a powerlifter. Oh, okay, so we want to we want to get fit. We're going to get fit like a, a, a like a, a you know, a, co a combat athlete rather than actually thinking, right, you know, what is it that we actually need to work on with this, with this person? What's going to get them, you know, ready for their sport? But then equally, you know, is there some sort of um, uh, crossover, some things that you would do with powerlifters that are pretty good? Okay, they might not necessarily um, uh, back squat or, you know, they might not, you know, a conventional uh, deadlift, but it might be a trap bar or anything like that. What are kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, programming specificity is another great one. So, um you know, for powerlifting, I look at big three, right? And we can make that even simpler for the argument because it doesn't have to be a bench press. We're going to pick something up. We're going to put something on us and we're going to stand up and down. That doesn't have to be a back squat. That can be a front squat. And we're going to push and we're going to add a pull, right? So really we're talking four movements, I guess. And I don't care any kind of a push. Overhead, incline, straight press, decline, doesn't matter to me. But we have to train in this movement and we have to pull stuff towards us. 
when we have those major things and we're getting an athlete stronger, we're probably really not talking powerlifting anymore, but going along the same principles. We'll just say strength training. I'm trying to strength train an athlete as much as possible. So because some of my fighters that I used to have trained with the, the team that I used to have, um, that was a little bit different the way we would program now at Kabuki because it was in person and they were training with us. So if there was a, a straight bar in the mono, they were squatting the straight bar in the mono. But if they were close to a fight, I would probably add chains and let them squat high. And, you know, not, not, you know, miles high, but they don't need to pass competition depth. And that's the thing, like talking about the trap bar, a lot of people miss. If you look at a, a uh, even a low stance when somebody's dropping down to drive an uppercut, it's like a quarter squat. It's not that low. In jujitsu, you're usually not, sometimes you are, but usually not folded up completely with your thigh on your chest. You're usually creating space and frames with your arms and your legs that are about halfway through extension. So if we train these larger ranges of motion that allow the athlete to lift a little bit more weight, um, and because they may not be this much skilled athletes, we don't have to worry about fine tuning their brace and fixing butt wink at the very bottom of the squat. Let's just get a high box out and have you push some load to keep you safe and it'll help overload you prior to competition. Um, front squats are great. Coach Brandon Morgan and I are, are um, in the process right now of actually um, filming out a multiple part uh, series that we're calling our, our uh, guided solutions that's available on uh, the movement library for any of the followers that don't have a subscription. It's very inexpensive monthly subscription. You can uh, sign up for a week free trial. But our new thing we're doing with the movement library it used to be just videos similar to our IG videos, just a ton of videos, a ton of info. Look on there for bracing, lots of great videos on bracing. We're now trying to do a better job yet and come up with guided solutions. So have back pain, watch this video. Here's the exercises that we suggest. You don't have to search through it on your own and read this content on why we're saying that. The reason I bring this up is we're in the process right now. I think two, uh, two out of seven have been filmed. So in the next couple months, everything will have been released on um, strength and conditioning for combat sports. And, and uh, we just talked about this. You know, the, the front squat has more carryover to fighters and wrestlers than anything else. But if I train the back squat and they get freakishly strong, it'll have great carryover and it'll be awesome for them. Yeah. But everything's anterior, right? When I'm pushing off and driving and I'm fighting, I'm going forward. When I wrestle, even if I'm in, uh, in tie doing a tie clinch, I'm pulling people forward. They're usually on my front side. When I shoot a single leg, I'm picking somebody up in front of me. If they're on my back, I have a problem, right? So zercher squats, front squats, just looking at the way the human body moves. Some lunges, again, not squatting to the deepest depth in the world. Um, looking at like our trap bar, not to highlight too many of our products, but they are nice. But get a trap bar with fat grips like ours is, and maybe one with elevated handles. You're not going to go pick up the lowest deadlift in the ring. So the movements are the same, but application can be a little bit more um, um, fine-tuned for the actual sport-specific movements that you're seeing in the athlete. And when you do that, you'll have even better carryover. That'll allow some more variability in the athlete's training because not everybody wants to train like a powerlifter, right? I've had plenty of people like, man, this has no variety. Squat, bench, deadlift again. And if they're close to a competition, like straight bar, bench again with a pause. And we're like, yeah, it's going to be really fun. 
they're like, I don't want to, I want to do this bar or that bar. Can you go back to dumbbells? So allowing some of that variability for, you know, the combat athletes uh, can keep it fun and, and shake it up for them a little bit. Also, again, reducing some of the risk of, it, of overuse injury because we're providing a lot of tools for their body to adapt in different ways because we're in there in the ring, everything's different, right? No fight's the exact same. They move different, they're hit different, they trip different, they're taken down differently. So that can be a, a big help. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned there, you know, again, you know, um, uh, specific for performance and, you know, for, for powerlifting, obviously there's a certain, uh, you know, rules that you need to need to hit certain standards that you need to hit. Whereas, you know, used a couple of examples there, you know, in the combat sports side of things where, you know, we don't need to squat to full depth, you know, we don't need, you know, to, to hit those, hit, hit that certain criteria. Just building on that in terms of, you know, when we're looking at, you know, strength and, you know, obviously strength is important for, you know, whatever performance um, that, we're, that we're trying to do, you know, it, it, depending on, you know, what, what level of strength that is. Do you think that sometimes people get, you know, carried away and try and set their strength standards relating to strength sports, such as, you know, the, um, uh, the powerlifting, weightlifting and strongman, rather than, you know, um, thinking about what, what's, what strength standards they need, you know, in front of them for, you know, a combat sport or, you know, even, you know, team sports. And, you know, if, we, if we're going down that avenue as well. Yeah, I'll say that last part again. Um, so just mentioning about the, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, trying to judge strength standards towards sort of like the strength sports like barbell, uh, like powerlifting and weightlifting. Yeah, gotcha. So you're saying, doing, yeah. Right. So you're saying like the combat sport athlete trying to, to match their standards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, that's what I wanted to clarify. I think that can actually be a detriment because um, I, I was just talking about this uh, or something similar with a couple of the coaches the other day and went on a rant about it. You know, standards of strength have changed so much and I think they can actually deter people from lifting because, and I've been there a couple of times myself, like, well, why should I even try to push this in this weight class? Like I can't, I can't be on that level. These guys are getting too strong and that doesn't mean I can't be stronger though. So, and there's, unfortunately that's where it goes back to the world is getting better. Same thing with, you know, uh, my gripe a little bit about some of the pro sports. Um, you know, I'm not too familiar with football where you guys are at, um, obviously, but soccer, you get into NFL, Major League Baseball. I think a lot of these athletes are kind of detrained and they're not allowed to express their full capabilities. Now, the caveat, I do get that when you have a 12 or 20 million dollar shoulder as a strength coach, you're not going to mess that up because if you give him an injury, right, your job is gone. The most expensive pitcher on the team, you made a boo boo. So it becomes more maintenance than it does actually strength and conditioning, in my opinion. And I don't mean to knock that because I understand, like, they have to play the sport. And if their strength standards are okay for the sport, getting them stronger may not guarantee better success. And ultimately, they're not a lifter. So making their numbers better in the gym, that doesn't make the game one for sure. So with martial artists, and again, these, all of these, these fields, I think are getting a little bit better in the sense that there's younger coaches coming in, there's more science behind lifting, you know, it's getting a lot more popular, even in, in boxing and other things. So it's helping, but there's still so much old school, like, well, we're going to do the burpees and punch with the dumbbells and do some ab twisties with the ball. So there is no strength standard. So like some of the, I remember working with a young amateur fighter here. And uh, I mean, he's pretty strong and, and we probably could have made him a, a decent power lifter, at least a national level power lifter, um, probably squatted at 315, um, maybe 365 high, 
And in fight camp, he would just put on two plates and do like half squats and just crank out like sets of 15 and run off. And I'm like, dude, you're so much stronger than that. But he was as strong as the other guys he fought. So he didn't see much need to get stronger. Now, if he would have compared himself to me, right, I'm squatting 500 at the time, right? So almost double what he's squatting for reps. And he's going to be like, well, I can't get that strong. So why should I put that much effort into it? There's not somebody for him to compare himself to, right? Um, Even some of the top UFC guys. I remember when John Jones posted some, uh, some training videos and for i don't remember what he weighed at the time over 200 pounds for a guy his size in the strength world like that's not an impressive lift at all but there's not very many ufc fighters at the time that were matching that strength level so it's kind of hard to to gauge that and i think that can be a detriment to the sport what uh what i think athletes need to do and more importantly for coaches listening is to to that's what we do beautifully at kabuki working individually now, if you have a team, you may not be able to work a ton individually, but at least set goals individually and monitor some individual progress because we don't know what we're capable of yeah. until we see the athlete succeed. And that's my, uh, I'll go on a little tangent here, but hopefully it'll make sense. That's my gripe with athletes who pick their goals and more so than other goals, but their attempts for the meet before they do a powerlifting competition. If I only want to squat uh, 200 kilos and deadlift 210 kilos, and that's what I'm going to work my numbers and my training backwards off of. Well, if I'm doing pretty good, of course, I'm going to hit those goals if they're reasonable. But what if I would have pushed every training session harder because I was looking at 230 and 237.5? Maybe I didn't quite get there in training, but maybe that gave me a 222 squat and, uh, you know, 217 uh, deadlift. If we set our expectations too low, and we train backwards off that, we're always going to be just achieving the bare minimum. And I feel like that's what a lot of the combat sports guys do versus saying, how strong can I get safely in this off-season block? And with the eye of a coach, they might be very surprised on how much strength they could get and how much they could maintain in and through competition. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a that's a good way of looking at it. You know, and it's something that you know uh, maybe doesn't get maybe doesn't get mentioned enough because you know there's always that phrase of you know how strong is strong enough? Oh, well, they're already strong, so I don't need to get them stronger if they're you know uh, American football players or you know rugby players or you know or combat athletes. Whereas actually, you know, how do you know how strong is strong enough until they maybe get to that point? You don't necessarily always that you know as a, as a, as a powerlifter, you know, you always want to be looking to getting stronger. Whereas you know on the flip side of that. I think, you know, sometimes it's not, I know you mentioned there about, you know, not making sure that you, you, you cause an injury or anything, but just dipping your toe and just, you know, you know, taking that, taking that little bit of step, you know, a little, a little bit further to see, right. Okay. This is, this is, this is how much strength we, we need to, you know, to sort of like dominate in, in, in the ring or, or, or anything like that. Um, a couple of things that you that you mentioned on there, and you, you you've mentioned it sort of throughout this chat in terms of you know injury prevention, uh, movement, and some sort of like old school um, uh, thoughts on things. 
again, you know, looking at looking at both camps, um, or probably more so the powerlifting side of things. You know, the amount of movement and the warm ups that you would do in sort of like camp combat sports. You know, um, how much sort of uh, does that influence your coaching when it comes to you know uh, getting your uh, powerlifters moving a little bit more in terms of injury injury prevention? You know, and making them a little bit more focused on the warm up side of things because you know there is still sometimes the warm up is really important, but sometimes it can be a case of potentially for uh, beginners or you know uh, the old school style of thinking of right I'm going to come in I'm going to stretch off my back stretch off my legs get underneath the bar um, and yeah let's just start lo- loading loading the bar up how does sort of you know your, your experiences um, in the in the martial arts side of the world influence your warm-ups and injury prevention and movement for powerlifters yeah um, I was just thinking of something right when you uh, asked that question so I'll jump back real quick I do have an answer for you for how strong is strong enough Right. Like he just carries over to the other sports as well, uh, as far as uh, powerlifting, stronger than the other guy. Right <laughs> now, in powerlifting, good luck because they're really strong on top. But but jokes aside, in in combat sports, if you can be stronger than the rest of them, it doesn't need to be a ton. If you can be a little bit stronger, you're going to win. That's strong enough because you're stronger than them. And in their world, right, it's a little bit easier to pull that off. I think there is some good standards. Um, and I forget what, what my goals that were standard generally set for, for fighters, but uh, you should definitely be able to handle two times body weight because you're, you're pushing and pulling on somebody your size. And if they jump on you, you literally, for injury rehab prevention purposes, you have to move your weight and theirs. So if you can comfortably move double body weight for reps, you're probably going to save yourself some pain and agony in the future. Now, fast forward, my warmups – I've been on both sides um, over over you know the the 15 years I've been in the industry. Um, I've I've done warmups so short. I, I used to believe if you and I still believe a little bit more along these lines. But if you couldn't jump on the the floor, whatever your sport is, powerlifting, jujitsu, kickboxing, whatever, and be ready to go in three minutes, two to three minutes. Um, you probably need to do more homework outside of the gym and do more recovery and more mobility. You should be able to go pretty much right now, um, especially in the fight game. Uh, But we did a lot of self-defense stuff, so that makes sense. Now, we can go way too far that way because what if the athlete doesn't have time or they're not making the time to get their body prepped outside of training? Well, now, then, then my mindset switched. All right, well, let's let them recover at home, rest and relax. And in the gym, let's make a dedicated, you know, 30 minutes to, to make sure that we're programming individual specificity of this is tight, this needs mobility, this needs activation, whatever the case may be. But the pendulum can swing too far that way. Um, not too long after uh, the Kabuki seminars were out, I remember Chris came up with a single minute exercise movement prep. And there was some long acronym for that. We could probably work it out together, but um, it had a little hashtag. It was cute. It didn't catch on like I thought it would. We weren't saying you need to be ready in a minute to lift a heavy barbell, but the goal was under 10 minutes. So single minute, nine minutes and under. Um, and I still believe more along that side of things. So the nice thing with Kabuki is we spend so much time on quality human movement. We take care of a lot of this and we want to do movements that are going to be better for sport or play. So a jujitsu warm-up, um, running laps and doing jumping jacks. Sure. You could have did that in the parking lot before you came in, right? Hip openers and shrimping drills and shoulder openers, opening up your wrists and your elbows, 
flow drills, rolling lightly, technical warm-ups while adding some movements and stretching in, that makes more sense to me, right? Um, If I'm going to squat, walking on the treadmill for 10 minutes and then stretching out my hamstrings and my calves and my shoulders, getting under the bar 15 minutes later, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying it's a waste of time. If we can do a wall angel and a dead bug with my feet uh, or my, my, uh, you know, um, hips in a flex position that's mimicking the bottom of a squat, that has better carryover to the bottom of a squat. If I can get the movement prep in the movement itself, I'm going to do better. We talk a lot about fixing the movement in the movement itself. That's why so many of our movement prep drills are going to mimic to the best of our abilities the actual movement that we're doing. Um, and that helps a lot, but it definitely is one of the most neglected areas. Um, and I don't know why it's as confusing as it needs to be for people. I know I don't do as much as I should. I'll be honest with people as a coach, I'm way more tight now than I need to be. Um, hips and and shoulders are, are super tight. I'm strong, but I get tight enough. I'm going to risk injury. So I tell all the athletes to do as I say, not as I do. And I know what not to do because I beat myself up a lot. But getting with a good coach who can fine tune it to be as short as possible, but as specific as possible, you're more likely to do it. It takes less time. It has better carryover. And if you can add some technical aspect to that, you're going to be better as a lifter versus the, the general warm up. So hopefully that that answers your question there. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, an interesting thing that you, you mentioned there of, you know, um, uh, it's not bad. It's just a wa- it's just a waste of time because sometimes, you know, and I, I've seen it when, when people are people are coming into the gym, you're kind of looking at the clock and being like, all right, OK, they're, they're, they're in the gym. All right. They're still in the gym half an hour later. Why? Why have we got anything? Why have we got anything done? Do you and being more specific in, in, in terms of that, you know, why do you, why, why do you think that is, do you think sometimes, you know, it is just striking, it is just striking that balance a little bit or a little bit of a lack of education or, you know, trying to be, I don't know whether this is the right phrase, but maybe over-prepared trying to cover all the boxes. Whereas, you know, you mentioned there two things about squat of, right. Uh, let's have a look at my shoulders. Let's have a look at what's going to be more specific at the bottom of the squat. Right. Okay. Let, let's go. Let's get underneath the, the barbell a little bit. Do you think sometimes, you know, why either from a client's or a coach's point of view of, you know, they're trying to cover all the bases, make sure that, you know, no one's got it and trying to wrap, you know, themselves in cotton wool a little bit. Yeah. I see two big problems, uh, lack of education. Um, and, and maybe there's too much info out there. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll blast foam rolling a little bit and it's not to highlight our tempering tools. Um, right. Our ISDM tools, but I think they work better. And the reason being is because they're going to be more efficient. Um, I always used to tell people the difference when, when I was kickboxing and, and doing, you know, all this stuff, CrossFit, um, powerlifting, all this stuff. I was squatting in the sixes, uh, deadlifting in the sixes. Uh, it's probably about 280 kilos. Um, taking kicks to the legs multiple times a week. My leg, my quads were so tight and so dense. Like you could hit me with a baseball bat in the thigh and I wouldn't very flinch very much. Now I lay on a foam roller at the time I was weighing like 170 to 180 pounds and, you know, cut my body weight in half, just take my legs. So let's call it 180 and most I'm probably gonna have 90 pounds, 90 pounds. I could foam roll for 20 minutes trying to get loose prior to squat. And it wouldn't really help that much. Now I take a, uh, the geisha 
that weighs, well, our new one is loadable. So anywhere from 135 to 250 pounds, I put that on my legs. We're good real quick. Body weight's just not enough. So sometimes it's not, there's nothing wrong with foam rolling. I'm glad it came out. It was a great addition to the fitness industry that, that helped products like we're talking about, but it's been outdated. There's a more efficient means. So when somebody tells you, yeah, I lay on the crossbar and I do this stuff for my shoulder, it's not inherently bad stuff. A massage gun isn't bad for you, but if I massage gun my whole body prior to squatting, maybe I need to look at my sleep patterns or recovery or other things. It's all about efficiency in my mind. So part of it is the misinformation or too much information, but I think that can be cleaned up by specificity. So the favorite way that I like to, um, to utilize movement prep with athletes is in a circuit fashion. Now we have our athletes do it pretty much two different ways. And I don't, it doesn't matter to me. You could do, you know, all of your dead bug drills, all of your shoulder openers, all of your rooting and breathing, bracing drills, spend, you know, the nine minutes that we talked about, or, you know, 10 to 15 minutes doing that. And then you can go over to the barbell and start squatting myself. I walk right to the barbell. I get my first set with the empty barbell. I feel if there's anything that feels more off today. And then I go with my movement prep, my bracing drills, my breathing drills, my shoulder openers, um, swing the shoulder rock, and I'm right back under the bar with a plate on it. I do that. I reassess. I go back through movement prep again, movement prep again. By three rounds through, unless something's really off that day and needs some extra TLC, then I'm rocking and rolling and I'm loading the bar. So it's funny. I made a, a post about it a while ago. Um, I was in like 20 minutes, and this is quick for me, so I usually don't go this quick, but in 20 minutes on the bench press from putting my bag down, I was from you know zero pounds to 130 or 150 kilos. And a guy walked in our gym here with me at the same time. And when I looked uh, through warmups, getting to a top set, and uh, he's still on Instagram on his phone on the foam roller. <laughs> And that's okay, like not to knock the athlete, but thinking about efficiency. And maybe he had a long work day and wanted to decompress a little bit and get his head right before he lifted. I'm cool with that. So I don't mean to knock it. But if that was his warm-up prep, man, you just added an hour to your, your training program. And if you got stuff to do at home or for us busy coaches with other athletes, sometimes that's how it gets skipped because we don't, we say we don't have time for it. We just need to learn the most efficient movements that have the most efficient carryover. Um, and those can be easily diagnosed, in my opinion, by any sport pulling this full, full circle. Again, walking on the treadmill and doing, you know, jumping jacks and hamstring stretches aren't bad for a jujitsu guy. They're not. But setting up line drills and doing shrimping drills and shoulder rolls and shin box get ups in a flow fashion and then some light rolls all within 10 minutes will probably be more specific and have their head in a better place. Same thing with us lifters. If I spend 15, 20 minutes and then I go to the barbell, now I have to get started going thinking about my squat. If I go right to the barbell and I'm diligently thinking about the way my body moves under you know less than 30% of my max load in five, 10 minutes, I've spent all my mental energy, not on Instagram, all my mental energy on my squat. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of times there of, of, of efficiency and you know uh, making sure that you know we're getting we're getting prepped ready for that and you know not not wa not wasting time because you know if people are you know especially from like a mindset sort of thing that you that you mentioned there you know if you're in the gym for like three hours you know and half of that you haven't even got to the got to the training that you're trying to do 
mentally you'll be thinking, oh my God, like I don't want to go to the gym. I'm, I can't bother going to the gym again because it's spending three hours. Whereas what you're mentioning there, you know, working up to your top set relatively quickly, you know, that's what you want to be. You, you, you get in there to train, you know, you don't go to the gym for a warm up. You go there, you go to the gym to train. Um, Obviously, you know, quite a lot of topics covered there, you know, on both sides of the camps um, in terms of powerlifting and the, uh, and the, and the combat sports and martial arts side of things. Um, what would be uh, the, the lessons that you've learned from both that have influenced you as a, as, as a coach and how you sort of, you know, uh, deliver your, your programming, your coaching and your, and your philosophies going forward? Yeah, um, the first one would definitely be more from uh, the, the fight game than, um, than, than lifting, but they go hand in hand. Um, and, and so maybe that'll be the main message I deliver here today. Uh, one of uh, a, a very influential person in life, one of my early mentors um, always told me an injury is a blessing in disguise. And I remember when we were training together, some of my first injuries, I'm like, it's not a blessing in disguise. This is horrible. I can't walk upstairs. I can't squat 135 pounds. Nothing about this is a blessing to my life. I'm angry. I'm mad. I want to punch people in the face. There's no blessing to it. Getting your ribs cracked in a fight and not being able to train for weeks. There's no blessing in that. That sucks. But if you stop and you calm down and you pay attention as an athlete, there's a ton of opportunity there. And as a coach, um, I just went through a laundry list of injuries uh, that I've had over the years. I, I forgot all of them because I haven't literally listed them out in so long until we were doing an interview here for um, a, a slogan, a campaign we have is our, um, you know, our unfinished slogan, our anti-fragile, uh, some of those. And I was like, wow, it's going to be a little rough in, in 20, 30 more years. There's going to be, there's going to be some arthritis and some other stuff going. I broke a lot, torn a lot, damaged a lot, ton of broken bones. Um, and, and thinking back about it, I'm like, that's a lot. So I could have been a better athlete if I didn't have all those injuries. And I am a knucklehead and I do train 110%. So it's not that I want coaches to be injured. It's not that I want athletes to be injured because it sucks. But when it happens, you become a good athlete or you throw the towel and you give in. And as a coach, if you can take injuries in your own body and learn how to work through them and rehabilitate, but more so what can you do and how you build that mental mindset is huge. And that's the biggest thing I took away from martial arts where I trained at, we're pretty stoic. Like if I get hurt, I'm not going to show you I'm hurt. And I'm expected to come to class the next day, even if I'm sitting on the sidelines and watching. And that opportunity, I can't step on the floor because my hand is broke. My ribs are broke. I have a torn uh, hamstring. There's no way I can do these movements, but I can watch them from the side. I can train my brain and I can learn things I never would have learned if I was out there. Same thing for powerlifting. Um, there's been days that uh, I've got herniated discs from a car crash, not powerlifting related. Obviously, squatting and, and deadlifting super heavy hasn't probably made my back better. It generally doesn't hurt it, but there's days when things flare up and I can't tie my shoes. And I'm like, how am I going to train today? Well, I'm a knucklehead. I do what I tell my clients not to. I'm going to train, but I'm going to figure out what muscles are tight, what movement prep of ours can I do? How can I find a position that doesn't hurt me and sometimes those positions are a better position. So I'm like, wow, I actually learned how to deadlift better today, even though I couldn't go up to my prescribed weight, because if I get a little out of position, a little forward, that lights my back up real quick. If I maintain my best position ever and I'm real careful, I'm going to be a better person for it. So it reminds me of one of uh, Duffin's stories of um, 
he says the, the I think the the time he really learned how to deadlift. He was at a competition and um, was probably going to pull around 700 or 800 pounds. I forget the story somewhere in there. And uh, I think his last warm up at like 500 pounds, he tweaked his back or he tweaked it in squats or something. But anyways, at 500, like can't pick up the bar, don't know what to do and has a huge opener. So he went out there and um, told himself he's going to brace harder than he ever did and find the best position possible. And he stood it up with no pain. And he went on to hit a pretty massive PR at that competition. And that day is like, I really figured out how to deadlift. Yeah, if you've got back pain and you're going to try to deadlift, you better be in good position. You're not taking the bar off the floor. So other things, broken bones, broken hands. And it goes beyond just the grit of grinding through because I don't want to highlight just when we're tough and, and, and we can be knuckleheads and, and um, you know, um, uh, grind through things. Because for me, it was the mental. I see athletes get injured, especially their, their first uh, injury. Somebody in the floor the other day said, uh, young athlete said, and I, I got my first uh, first injury, powerlifting, and I'm listening to it. I'm like, that's not an injury. Like, that's barely a strained muscle. Like, you'll be fine. Go bench press right now. Wrap it with some floss. And not to knock them because I was just talking about records the other day. In, in their world, that is their first injury. That is the worst thing they've happened. And they're like, oh, my God, my bench was progressing. Do I have to take time off? Do I have to quit? Do I have to have surgery? Right? They go down this downward spiral. And that mental toughness of, you know what, I'm going to be calm. What can I do today? Even if it's just working on my core and my mobility, in the long run, it'll make me a better power lifter. So in a roundabout way to close that up, I think that's one of the most valuable lessons learned for any athlete. You could have a pro football player, and the first time they blow out their uh, you know, ACL five years into their career, they're probably thinking, oh, crap, like, my career might be done. And if they go down that path of I'll never be the same, they're going to be hesitant on the field and they're going to get smashed again. If they have the mindset of this can't stop me, I will come back better than ever. Their success rate is going to be higher. So that's the the best lesson that I've learned through unfortunate events, like things getting broken (laughs) on a not my will. And then, you know, me just being a knucklehead in the gym and training too heavy and um, tearing muscles and, and doing stupid stuff that way. Um, it's been a, a blessing in disguise. It's taught me a lot, but it's taught me no matter what, I'll be able to keep going until, well, I'm not alive anymore to do this. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, especially from that, you know, it can be, uh, you, you mentioned there about the mindset side of things that if you do have an injury and you, uh, you know, you lose that mindset and, ju- and just give up, then, you know, you're not going to be able to progress. You're not going to get, you're not going to be able to get back to where you were or even, or even surpass that. And I think sometimes, you know, there's lessons to be learned from, uh, from both sides of there, um, to be able to progress going forward. Um, Thanks a lot, Kyle, for, for taking the time to, to jump on. Quite a lot of topics, you know, covered there. You know, loads of great content. If yeah, people um, have any uh, questions about the topics that we've that we've covered today um, or want to see the content that yourself and Kabuki put out there, where can people find you or reach out to you? Yeah, uh, multiple places. The uh, the free content we put, put out, if people aren't already following it, the Kabuki virtual coaching page, uh, a, a ton of free content for myself and other coaches. Um, the Kabuki Strength main page, but as far as educational content, uh, Kabuki Strength virtual coaching, um, we have quite a big following on YouTube as well, but most of those are similar type format videos. Um, if you log on to our website and sign up for the movement library, there's always a, a free trial there. That's uh, for the price. It's a gold mine. There's so much in there um, from all the coaches, all the way back to some original lectures from Chris Duffin himself. So 
it's worth every penny. And then myself, um, you can always contact me, my email, uh, all my info is on the uh, Spooky Strength website. My Instagram is another great place to reach me for anybody that needs help. Um, it's just Kyle underscore Kabuki. We always love working with athletes, even if, um, you know, that's just answering some questions and talking long-term progression. So for us, we highlighted that early on. It's not always us making money. I would love to see people at our seminars. I would love to see people taking our continued education. But if they're just a follower watching their Instagram and bettering their lives, I thank you guys so much. It's, it's all of our followers that allow us to keep doing what we're doing. So follow along. There's multiple places people can jump in and get assistance from myself and Kabuki Strength. So we're just happy to help on any format that we can. Awesome. For everyone listening, if you haven't seen, you know, the, the content that, uh, that that Kabuki Strength put out there, it's it, it's awesome, you know, and, you know, um, really good inf- informative information, not to just help you as a, as a lifter, um, but also as a coach as well. Um, so thanks a lot, Kyle, for taking the time to jump on. Thanks a lot to everyone listening, and I will see you all next week. Thank you, sir. Have a good one.